So we're in this series that we're calling Cultivate, growing through the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are eight statements that Jesus made that are recorded in the, at the first of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five. They're not eight unrelated spiritual pithy little magnet statements, they're meant as a teaching unit. We're told at the end of Matthew 4, Jesus launches public ministry proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So it's good news to be a part of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is in a place, it's the realm of his rule. Any human being who's saying, I want you to be my king, I acknowledge that you know better how my life should go than I do, that you know best what will fulfill me than I do, I want you to be my king. And uh, the rebellion that occurred in the garden through our sin and our rebellion against God's rule is being healed through Jesus coming, paying the penalty for our rebellion, that paying that penalty for the offense against an infinite God, and he's inaugurating the reestablishment of the kingdom, and it's spreading, and one day, as Revelation says, the kingdom of this world will once again be the kingdom of our God. So we're in the midst of that, and Jesus is announcing this good news. He says, let me tell you how to enter into the kingship, the, the, the happiness of the kingship. All eight of these statements have the word blessed in front of them. And even though we use it all the time and say bless you when somebody seizes or when we are really kind of embarrassed by how stupid somebody is, we say well bless your heart and all sorts of other ways that we use it. Blessed actually is a word that had, it, it, the Greek word is, the root is makar, makarios. It, it was up to that point, the, the word was used in reference to Greek gods and goddesses. They alone were thought to be able to obtain makarios, which is a happiness, a contentment, a deep sense of fulfillment that transcends human circumstances. Now Jesus is saying, it's not mythical for the gods and goddesses, it's part of being in the kingdom. And so we're calling this cultivate because each of these eight statements build on one another. You pass, there, yes, they're in an, a specific order, but they're cumulative. You don't leave one to go to the next. You take one, then you go move into the second. You take those two, move into the third. And they become basically eight saplings, eight plants in the garden of, of our lives that we continue to cultivate our entire walk with Christ. They're not just one time, they're ongoing. So let's read through them. If you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't own a Bible, pick one up in the back we'll, as our gift to you back in the, at the welcome desk. If you own one but just don't have it with you, uh, to turn your attention to the screen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up a mountain on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs, and by the way, these are emphatic. Basically, theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom of heaven. You want to become a part of the kingdom of heaven? You've got to own up to your poverty of spirit. We're all poor in spirit. We all are lacking when it comes to having what's necessary to please a holy God. And there's no way we can earn that. We need to acknowledge our bankruptcy, our poverty of spirit. It's basically confessing our sin and our sinfulness before him. That's the entry point. Then he says, blessed are those who mourn that. The mourn, meaning turn, repent from that, that sinfulness and say, I need you and we're comforted. They're the ones that'll be comforted. Jesus taught in the upper room discourse 
This, the, that Thursday night before he gave his life it, in, in John 13, 14, 15, you can see it in there where he talks about the Holy Spirit being the comforter. So the, the Holy Spirit comes. If you want to know, this is kind of a conversion process, what it means to come to Christ. Then once I've been comforted, blessed are those who are meek. Meekness isn't weakness. It's power under control. It's my potential being brought under his leadership, under his control, underneath his kingship. And and we'll be the ones who will inherit this earth as it's being redeemed. Then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So an ongoing acknowledgement that our ultimate longing is for him. They and they alone are the people that will be filled. And now we come to today's verse 7. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Now, a lot of people think, wait a minute, is that saying that the only people that God's merciful to, they have to prove it first by being merciful? So the way that you, you, you grapple with a text that's unclear like this is you go to the larger body of Scripture and uh, overwhelmingly we're, we're taught that God comes to us. The only way that we can relate with God is through grace through his mercy. He takes the first step in this dance. So what is this text referring to? It's referring to an experience of mercy. God is merciful to us, but the only way that we can understand that mercy, that we can unpack that mercy is by exercising it, is by giving it away. Really has to do with what I call plumbing theology. If you've been here at Northland for a while, you know, you've, you've heard about this before, although you've never seen this contraption. This is a pipe, thank you very much. Yes, it's got a valve on it, we'll come to that in a minute, but first I want you to just look. What comes into this pipe flows out of that pipe if everything's functioning appropriately. And what Jesus is saying is blessed are those who are merciful, who are giving away what God has given to them, and when they're doing that, this will remain a fresh experience. And in fact, if this is real and authentic, if what I'm receiving from God is real, it will be shown by the way that I act towards others. If I'm not being merciful, I haven't received mercy in the way that Jesus is describing. If I have, that'll happen. So what does a pipe look like? Other than somebody told me, life with a capital L, they say, I said, well, that's not what that's about, but it kind of, okay. Um, and, but this is, it is, it, it is life with God. It's this life that Jesus offered being, living in this way. But let me give you three traits of a pipe of God's mercy. Trait number one, availability. Availability to God's input. How open am I? Now, all those first four Beatitudes all are related to this input from God. Now, this Beatitude begins to turn the corner and move to horizontal relationships. The first four predominantly are having to do with me vertically, my walk with God. The, the rest of these are, are moving in the direction of spreading around, relating with other human beings in the way that God's related with me. But it starts with me being available and saying, God, I need you to pour into me. Titus chapter three, verse four, Paul writes this. He says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not, not because of the righteous things we had done. There you go. It's not a, hey, we earn anything. He says, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth 
and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us, whom he did what? Okay, there are more of you here than that. Let's try it again. He did what? Poured out on us. And, and how, how did he pour out on us? Starts with a G, generously. Ephesians 1 talks about lavishly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He poured out this water, this water of his Holy Spirit that delivers his forgiveness, his grace, his kindness, his purpose, his fulfillment, his beauty, his resolution, his triumph. The list goes on and on, the beauty of this life of the gospel poured into us. Now, this pipe, you have never gotten water from a pipe and said, wow, that pipe's producing some pretty good water. Pipes don't produce anything. They just convey it. They're just conduits. And so for me to be a pipe of God's mercy means I'm receiving what I need, and it's not just what I need for me, it's what I need to re- walk in community with you and is in impact uh, with the world. Let me look at a couple of verses side by side. In John chapter 15, in that upper room discourse I mentioned earlier, Jesus makes a statement. He's talking about the, him being the vine and you and me being branches and that we've got to stay connected with him and be receiving the input from the vine, all the nutrients from the vine so that we can be fruitful. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit and apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. Oh, we can be busy, but in terms of spirit-authored impact and life-giving love and service and sacrificial community, that's only going to happen by the Spirit's author. She says, without me, you can do nothing. I heard a guy one time say, nothing is zero with the rim taken off. It is nothing. It has, there's a lot to do with that. Some of you have been believers a while. You know about Paul's teaching on the gold, silver, and precious stones that will make it through the fire of evaluation at the end of our journeys. That's, that, that wood, hay, and stubble is nothing, but the fire, the, the precious stones are what the Holy Spirit authors in me. Now, go back. Let's look at the second. We can do nothing without him. In Philippians chapter 4, look at the second verse on that slide. He says, I can do all things. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do what? Everything. Up above, you can do nothing. Without him, I can do nothing. With him, I can do everything. With him, with that input, walking with him in freshness and being up to date and submitting to him regarding the riches of his grace and the beauty of his life, and the wonders of his mercy, and the fulfillment of his purposes. There's that input that I start receiving. And pipes are available. Some of you right now are saying, man, I'm ready to get going. What's the first thing I need to do? Be available. God, I want you to keep speaking your word into me. Pouring your spirit into me. A spirit t- takes up permanent residence in my life when I come to Christ, but being filled with his spirit is, is experiencing that water of his spirit. So there's that input that I'm receiving because I'm available. And it's a continual posture daily, availability. Not just for us as individuals, but for us as a church. Oh God, 
would you work in our midst right now during the season? Once he begins to, then there's a second trait of a pipe. It's very important, and it's this. It's not just availability. I also need to live my life with a sense of awareness. Availability to his input, but awareness to blockage points. Just because God is pouring into me does not automatically mean that other people are going to benefit from this, because so often we turn the valve off. You know, we, we rotate it. We say, you know what, God, I'm not going to do that. Sometimes we cut it off completely, sometimes partially. Hear what James says. James chapter, James chapter, three, uh, James chapter 3, verse 14. But if, you're, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such, quote, wisdom, he's speaking sarcastically here. He says, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. He's talking about an unhealthy community, really not a community, just an unhealthy assembly of religious people who are claiming to be Christian. He says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, hear this, full of what? Mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere full of mercy. The mercy that we receive from God, some, some of us have done studies where we see that we say the mercy of God is, God's mercy is him not giving us what we do deserve and his grace is him giving us what we don't deserve. And yes, that's true, but in the context of what Jesus is referring to, there's a global aspect because you're never gonna have God's mercy without his grace. We won't have his grace without his mercy. They come together. And so mercy is both withholding and giving. When, when God's showing his mercy to me, it includes withholding that which I do deserve that ain't good and giving me what I don't deserve, which is wonderful stuff. And so when I receive that, it's time to give it away. Mercy needs to be experienced before it's expressed. That's being available. But I need to express it in order to continue experiencing it. Stagnation comes into my walk with Christ when this thing gets turned off. And I've got to open it up. It's just kind of a deliberate thing on a daily basis to keep it fresh. Because otherwise, I close that. This might look like a pipe, but it functions as a bucket in this water that was fresh. And living water becomes stagnant. Did you guys see the video? Uh, of the flood. You see that stagnant water, that little Dylan's toys were just saturated with that stagnant, awful water. It took the fresh water, the moving water to cleanse it. That's what needs to be happening in, it, happening in me continually. But it's, it's an aha moment. So often in individuals, so often in communities and in churches, We become stagnant because we're receiving all this stuff. I'm telling you, some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life are are, are church people. Because they're getting all this stuff, but this is closed. It becomes stagnant. And it's time for, regularly, if I'm going to be a pipe, there's an awareness that produces a rhythm of momentum change away from the selfishness that causes me to just say, I want it, I want it, I want it. There's a proverb that talks about, you know, leeches just have two words, give, give. Just give me, give me, give me, give me. 
And no, yes, God, give me in order that I may give. Anybody here know what happened on June 15th, 2016? Anybody here know what happened on October the 30th, 2016? Anybody here know what happened on February the 5th, 2017? Are there no true sports fans here or or what? (laughs) Those three dates I just gave you marked a remarkable period in, in American professional sports where basketball, baseball, and football all experience the greatest comebacks in their sports history in the cha- at the championship level. June 15th, 2016, Cleveland Cavaliers came back. They won a game that night. They were down three to one behind the Golden State Warriors and no team had ever come back from a three to one deficit in a best of seven series. Cleveland Cavaliers turned it around in that game and they ended up winning. What do they call that in sports? The big mo. Momentum. The momentum shifted. Things were not going well, and then all of a sudden things turned around. Uh, Forget that one, though. The most important one was October the 30th when the greatest team in America, the Chicago Cubs, (laughs) go Cubs, go, go. Um, I totally lost my train of thought. No, they were in game five, best of seven series. They were down. And they won that game, then won game six and seven, and won the World Series for the first time in 345 years, or however long it was. (laughs) The big mo changed. February the 5th, 2017. Patriots fans, you were so excited this moment. Yeah, whatever, whatever. Um, And Falcons fans, We have counselors outside that will be waiting for you. Because you just thought you had healed, didn't you? And now I brought it up. But that's when the Falcons were up 28 to three, near the end of the third quarter. And then all of a sudden, the Patriots changed the big mo. They got the momentum back. So when we're watching the video earlier, I've seen that video several times. I just took the time to look at you guys, look at the cameras, and I prayed for you, and this is what I prayed. That the big mo would change in your journey for any of you who are dealing with stagnant spiritual journeys. And we all do that, that that happens weekly. We've gotta continually be aware of blockage points, of selfishness, of why don't we give away what God's giving to us? The scripture says perfect love casts out fear. The opposite is also true. Perfect fear casts out love. And if we're afraid, so often we're afraid of people's response and we will not express what God is pouring into us. And may this be a moment in the life, not only of you and you and you and me individually, but it may it be a moment in the life of Northland Church when the big mo changes. When all of a sudden we've got this wonderful legacy that God has poured into us and there's been a season of transition. And during that transition, the tendency appropriately for a while is to survive. Let's just hang on, great. We're moving through that storm, and it's time to thrive. It's time to flourish. It's time to to 
let the waters flow again. They're, they're, this community and this world desperately is longing for the impact that can come from Northland Church in concert with other churches. But we must continue to receive biblical gospel input, spirit, spirit initiated, spirit breathed, spirit authored water. But may it flow through us, that water of the spirit into our neighbors across the hall in another cubicle at work, in an arena where a disaster has occurred. I am so excited for this next season. Because there's an aspect, you know, I'll drive by, I'll drive by churches, and of course the church is just the building, but I will often ask myself, I'm wondering, who, who's being blessed as a result of, of the gospel that's come into that church? And so often, religious communities, we just receive it and keep it to ourselves. When's the last time you invited someone to church? Don't keep it to yourself. When's the last time we, we simply said, hey, cross the cubicle, cross the street, picked up the phone, and did something active, which is the third trait of a pipe activity. It's not passivity, it's activity. So first, there's input. There's availability for God's input. And that's continual every day. Lord, I, I want to receive. I, I open my life up for, for, for your power, your word to take root. But then it's continually being aware of blockage points. So there's that awareness. But then comes the activity. God's mercy to you and me is active. And as a result, he says, you be active towards others. Let me give you just some quick review. I've said several of the things already. Let me give you some, a review of some of the characteristics of God's mercy. Let's show that next slide. In terms of mercy, it's both withholding and giving. We've talked about that. So there are people that are waiting in my life that need, I need to withhold something that they do deserve that might not be good. And there are other times I need to bless them in ways they, they might not deserve. But that's what God's done for me because it's unconditional. Mercy's unconditional, and he says, I've loved you unconditionally, you love unconditionally. Now, you first have got to experience it, Matt, before you express it. And one of the reasons we don't express this is we haven't really experienced it. Mercy and grace are just religious words to us. They're not rhythms of doing our life journey. It's aimed at specific individuals. This is key. It's not just this blanket, hey, I, you know, it's like Charlie Brown says, I love humanity, it's just people I can't stand. We know that, right? No, mercy goes to an individual, to an individual, to an individual. And it's active, not passive. What's it look like? I'll give you four quick words. Number one, it looks like help. Being a pipe of God's mercy, that activity looks like help. Just real practical, somebody needing some help. Go back to... James chapter 2, verse 15, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Me helping will involve my time, it will involve my finances, it will involve my abilities, my gifts, my creative solutions. Helping. 
One time a mom told her little son, says, well, we're in this world to help people. And he said, well, what are they in the world for? You know? Don't they care about me and want to help me? She says, you don't worry about that. You just worry about helping them. It looks like help. Secondly, looks like comfort. Sometimes being a pipe of God's mercy is as simple as, as comforting someone else. What do we comfort other people with? Input. Take a look. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Now listen, who comforts us in all our troubles so that, so that. You know what so that looks like? It looks like right in here, so that. So that what? Hmm we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Do you see the plumbing theology in that? God comforts us, we give that comfort away. And there's some people, some individuals, I'm gonna come across this week, you're gonna come across a word of comfort, or maybe it's more than just a word, maybe it's something that's uh, uh, more all-encompassing, I don't know. Uh, Jim Carrey, you guys know him, he's a theologian, lives out in Hollywood. Uh, Maybe not theologian, but he's got great wisdom at times. He said in an interview one time, quote, if we all acted the way we really felt, four out of eight people at a dinner table would be sitting there sobbing. There's somebody in a gathering of this side, there is somebody within 10, 15 feet of you that's hurting. And you might not discover that they are. But but if we pay a bit more attention and not just care about getting, 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 but care about giving, 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 what we're receiving, we start paying attention. So this giving, this this activity of a pipe, it looks like comfort, looks like help, but it also looks like forgiveness. Forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Paul says, you need to forgive one another just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. You don't know what they did to me. No, I I don't, but I know what I've done to God. And I don't say this glibly because there is atrocity that takes place. But the scriptures so often say we underestimate the way that we have grieved God by our rebellion. And yet he has freely forgiven us. Let me give you a fourth activity of a pipe. It's not just helping and not just comforting, not just forgiving. It's restoring. It looks like restoration. You know, the point of the gospel is not to make us religious. The point of the gospel is to restore us into the trajectory that our humanity was intended for in the garden to the glory of God. The gospel is for all of life and the restored. So often, this group of people that they the kind of buckets in disguise, because you block this off, it functions like a a bucket. We just are gathering all of this. This group of people looks at the surrounding culture and says, you better agree with me. 
And if not, you're going to be wrong. This group of people is receiving that, and it comes out very, there's a restorative heart to the grace and truth of the gospel. Not just, we want to share the gospel so people will agree with us. No, no, no. We want to share the gospel so people can be restored into the original trajectory that they were made for. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. <laughs> All this, you're, you're a new creature. You're alive. You once were dead, and now you're alive, living with that, with that capital L. You, you once were in darkness, now you're in light. Capital L type light. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself, or to reconcile us to be made friends again with, to be restored into right relationship uh, to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he said, hey, I'm restoring you. Now he gives us the ministry of restoration. That God was restoring, reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You know what the Greek word for ambassador there is? Pipe. No, I'm kidding, it's, it's not, but... Man, I had some of you. You were saying, oh, my word. No, it's not. But it could be. We're there for Christ's pipes, his ambassadors. And here's why I say that. Look at the rest of it. As though God were, would you read these next? One, two, three, four, five, five words with me. As though God were making his appeal through us. Let's try it again. Making his appeal through us. This appeal to be restored into right relationship with God, right relationship with our humanity, right relationships with the culture around us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. To receive his grace in vain is to receive it and let this be plugged up and therefore it ceases to be this life-giving grace and becomes a rotting relic of, of, of my religiosity. You ever been, you, you get in a group of buckets who sing amazing grace, you know they're not amazed. You ever been in a, in a group like that? Amazing grace, oh, wow. But you get in a group of pipes who sing about amazing grace and they're amazed. In John chapter 7, remember the passage in Titus that I read a moment ago where he, his spirit is poured out on us. Remember that? You said it out loud, poured, generously. That's it. Paul writing to Titus. This is what it's based on. In John chapter 7, Jesus made a proclamation at the feast. It's the last of the great feasts, and he said this. In John 7, verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers, look here, rivers of living water will flow from within them, from, from within them. Where is it coming from? Titus 3, the Holy Spirit being poured out 
in us. And Jesus says, blessed, makarios, are the individuals blessed, makarios, are the churches that will receive mercy and give that mercy away. Receive grace, give that grace away. Receive life, give that life away. Receive truth, give that truth away. Receive restoration, give that restoration away. Receive that living water. The Hebrews referred to it as maim chaim, living water. Not stagnant, like a religious flood. All this beauty of the gospel being poured into a community and it stagnates because it goes nowhere. But instead, rivers of living water, living water, flowing through places like Northland, people like Northland into a desert. We're going to reflect on this. You ain't going anywhere yet. We've got to just let the Holy Spirit settle this in our hearts. Let me pray, and then I'll tell you how we'll do that. Let's pray together.